All people are when you manifestations obey God's word of that was built by slaves. Reality. And I watched my daughters. There is nobody that respects women more than I do. This for a lot of my life, up until I think I was like 32, I would repent under my breath and say, Father, forgive me of my sins. For, I mean, throughout most of the day, a ridiculous amount of times. I mean, on hard days, maybe hundreds of times sometimes, dozens of times, I don't know the number, but it was extreme. Even when I didn't believe that God was some other being out there that needed me to repent, it still existed in my body, this desire to be right with my creator, with my source, to find some okayness. And that was sort of the avenue that I took to try to be okay. And it took me like fully letting go of all my concepts and beliefs about God to stop doing that. But then even like several months later, after I had let go and started kind of reapproaching spiritual practice, I noticed the temptation to bring repentance in again. And I pretty quickly felt how that wasn't a great practice for me, how that could really easily move into these sort of shame spirals again. So I just sort of made a deal with God, with reality, with my deepest self. That was basically, you know what? We're not going to do that. We're not going to play that game where we need to say, please forgive me anymore. And then let's fast forward several years to this last Friday, and we released a new single for Gunger. And uh, I'm going to play you this chorus. Michael, you may ask. It's a very valid question. Well, what happened is I have a very different perspective about what forgiveness is now. So I'd like to talk about that today in this podcast, titled the podcast, Nonviolent Forgiveness. And that may at first glance sound like a strange combination of words because you know, probably for most of us, forgiveness is sort of inherently nonviolent. But for some of us, that hasn't actually been the experience that we've had with the idea of forgiveness. For some of us, forgiveness was an obligation. It was something that you were expected to do from your community and from God. Like I remember being taught that if you didn't forgive other people, that God wouldn't forgive you. In my evangelical, charismatic Christian church, maybe the healing that you were wanting or the money 
that you were hoping would be provided for you. Maybe there was a block, a heavenly block, because you had unforgiveness in your heart. And this kind of teaching could be really hard to just dismiss because, of course, we can all feel when you have unforgiveness, when you hold on to unforgiveness, it can be tremendously painful and limiting in your life. really can lock you up into patterns of thought and attachment that really become destructive for you. We can feel how things like unforgiveness in our lives, resentment, offense, when we hold on to them and let them live in our bodies for a long time, do choke off life in us in some way. And so on some level, those teachings made sense experientially. But there was a layer of shame a lot of times, I know for me, that I experienced with the idea of forgiveness that could potentially lead me to dismiss the feelings that I've had, feelings of being hurt, experiences that were injurious or traumatic for me, that there was some sort of like moral impetus, some sort of obligation or compulsory duty, if I was going to be a good child of God, to just, you know, forgive and forget. And in certain contexts, that can be a very dangerous teaching, especially from power systems, religious systems that sometimes have controlled or at least tried to control through coercion and shame and manipulation people's lives for them to be like, well, you better forgive, otherwise God won't forgive you. That's, that's dark. That's a violent take on forgiveness. It can actually become sort of like gaslighty of your own experience, right? Like you're hurt, but you should just stop being hurt or you see that was harmful behavior, you should just, you know, what? What are we even saying when we're saying forgive? Just like, are we telling people to just not feel what they're feeling? Because I think that's violent and destructive. But again, so is experiencing unforgiveness. That's violence to ourselves, and it just perpetuates cycles of violence where we get lost in these thoughts, these cycles of wanting vengeance, wanting some sort of punitive justice to happen. I mean, that's what so much of our, our like justice system and our world is built on, these kind of absurd ideas about violence fixing violence. This is what war is. Oh, we got to fix the violence. Let's kill a bunch of people. We got to fix the brokenness of someone, so let's put them in a cage. What? That doesn't check out for me either. Holding on to offense, holding on to our judgments of good and bad about each other and trying to punish and reward based on those judgments just leads to violence, more and more violence. So a lot of us are kind of like trying to balance between these two poles of violence, a pole of what we call justice in our society, which is punishing people, using punitive force to try to control people's behavior through shame and coercion and manipulation, if not outright violence. 
And then on the other hand, the violence of telling people to, you know, just be polite, be nice, let it go. Shh, don't worry about that. Look the other way. Just forget about that injustice. Forget about those things that are happening. Just shut your mouth, shut down your feelings, and play along. I mean, there's got to be a better way than this, yeah? I think there is. I've been on this kick lately about this thing called nonviolent communication. That's a system put together by Marshall Rosenberg. And I think it's a profound and important shift in how not to just communicate with people, but in how to be with people and even with ourselves. So I guess let me try to give you my best, you know, sort of layman's understanding of how this works. Basically, Rosenberg invites us to go deeper than our thoughts and our judgments and our evaluations and our diagnoses of people that so characterize a lot of our cultural ways of being and doing things and invites us instead into the feelings and into the needs that give rise to those feelings that he believes are the engine of all human behavior. So one thing he says is that everybody is always either saying please or thank you. Like essentially beneath all the things that they're doing, all the specifics of the ways that they're trying to get their needs met, under those behaviors and thoughts and words and everything are these needs, these desires that are trying to be met either saying, please give me something, world, universe, life, neighbor, or thank you. And if we can learn how to speak a different language, and he, he kind of makes it playful. He talks about the language of the jackals versus the giraffes. And he has like puppets and he kind of makes it a little, you know, silly and lighthearted which ends up being pretty effective for what he's talking about. But what he refers to as jackal language, the language and way of being of the jackals is kind of our normal society, which really relies heavily on judgment and shame and, you know, our thoughts about things. And he invites people into learning the language of the giraffes in his world, which is the language of the heart. It's language of feelings and needs. So one sentence in Jackal may sound something like, late again, huh? Why are you always late? You don't respect my time. While that same sentence in Giraffe may sound something more like, hey, I'm noticing that when you show up 20 minutes after our scheduled meeting time, without having let me know that you were going to be showing up later, I feel frustrated because I have a need to be respected with my time. So in the future, would you be willing to text me and let me know if you're going to be late? Could you feel the difference between those two dialects? The first was more about judgment and blame and not really even having a clear way of resolving the situation. Whereas the second one really got right to the needs and feelings that the person was having and 
try to come up with a solution that might serve them both better. There's a ton of information and things we could go into about nonviolent communication, and I actually would like to do a podcast about it in the future. We're actually going to be talking about it this week at the Sunday thing, by the way, if you'd like to join us. But the reason I bring it up in this context is I think when we look at something like forgiveness from the place that Marshall Rosenberg calls jackal land, when we look at it from that place of judgment, of diagnosing, of compulsion, of shame, the best that forgiveness can ever be is just sort of a forgetfulness or like a running out of steam. You know, in jackal land, if somebody bumps into you on the sidewalk and says, oops, sorry, maybe that's an appropriate amount of, you know, sorriness of what we might think of as like shame. You feel bad enough for the infraction. Oops, sorry. Okay, fine. I'm glad you said you're sorry. I'm going to forgive you. Meaning, I'm going to stop thinking about it. But if a person walks up to me on the sidewalk and punches me in the face purposefully, and they say, oops, sorry, in Jack-O-Lan, that's probably not enough for me to forgive them. I'm going to want some justice to be done, meaning I need them to be punished somehow. Both through their own feelings, I want them to feel really bad about what they did, and, and I'm probably going to want to call the police or some, some sort of retribution or punishment until I feel somehow that arbitrarily the scales of justice have been met, that they've been balanced. But this sort of forgetfulness or repression or, you know, just like distracting yourself and thinking about something else is not the deepest kind of forgiveness that is possible. It's not the kind of forgiveness that actually brings healing and beauty to the world. That kind of forgiveness, jackal kind of forgiveness, is actually just another form of violence. That kind of forgiveness is the type of fodder for codependence and the sort of dynamics of victims and perpetrators and saviors and sort of these unhealthy cycles of violence that we get into, of disconnecting from each other, of not seeing each other, not understanding each other, and not any of us getting our needs met. But when you move from the mind and all the judgments of the mind and thoughts into the heart and the feelings of a moment, into the aliveness of a moment, which are coming from needs and desires, and what's actually alive in us, like Marshall Rosenberg talks about, then when somebody says something to us that could be interpreted in jack-o'-land as an insult, you know, that I judge that what you're saying is some sort of attack against me, and so then I take it personally and I defend and I possibly re-attack you. In giraffe land, we don't even hear an insult because we're not listening through those ears. We're not listening through the ears of, is what you're saying good or bad? We're not listening through the ears of, are you right or wrong? We're listening through the ears of, what are you feeling and what are your needs? 
And what am I feeling? And what are my needs? And from that place of life, from that place of being alive, that very active living desire that's happening and sensations that are happening in the body, we meet at a place that isn't in the abstract battleground of thoughts, but it's in the very real embodied life space where we both are life. Sadhguru is this guy I really like, his teacher that I really enjoy. And I, I saw a clip of him a couple of weeks ago talking about forgiveness. And he said that you can't truly forgive someone until you see that there was nothing to forgive in the first place. And in jackal language, that might sound horrendous. If you're listening with jackal ears, if you're listening with good or bad ears, and you're saying, but that bad thing, you're saying that that bad thing like never happened and it feels like a gaslight or something again. But if you could hear it, not through jackal ears, but from a deeper place, like imagine a house plant. And let's say this house plant has not been getting adequate sunlight and water and it's starting to die. Do you look at that house plant and judge it in terms of morality? Do you think it's good or bad for not having sunlight and water? Or what about the sunlight? Do you judge the sun for not being able to get through the walls of the house and, and get the, the light into the plant? Do you say, son, you're not doing your job of keeping this plant alive. How dare you? Do you judge the sun for it? Or do you look at the needs of the plant and try to figure out solutions on how to give the plant what it needs? It's quite simple, <laughs> but what if we saw human beings as life needing things and then we figure out how we can all get what we need? It's just, it's a completely different lens to look at, at the world through rather than who's good, who's bad, who's us, who's them, what's right, what's wrong. All these dualistic divisions of the world that disconnect us and further violence. In this lens, forgiveness is the same thing as seeing. If I truly see you, I forgive you. Meaning, I allow you to be what you are without resisting it, without fighting it. I don't need to change the house plant from being a house plant. I don't need to change water and how it waters plants. I can love the water for being water, love the sun for being the sun, love the plant for being the plant, and then do whatever I can to get the plant's needs met, if that's something that would bring me joy. From this lens, forgiveness is not even necessarily something actively you need to do. It's almost just a descriptor of not doing 
what so many of us are doing, which is actively unforgiving. Unforgiving is holding on to bitterness, is continuing to go around those loops of vengeance in our minds, desiring harm for someone. It's holding on to those poisonous attachments to the past. And to forgive is not to forget. That would be tragic because if you forget that bumblebees sting, you might keep grabbing bumblebees. (laughs) So we need boundaries. We need helpful strategies on how to get ourselves the, the amount of sunlight and water and everything that we need. But we don't have to do that from the role of victim or perpetrator or savior. We don't have to do that from a place of being the judge of how things should be in the universe. Instead, we can do it from a place of play, a place of freedom, of connection, of relationship, where the life in me is related to the life in you and how contributing to life, like Rosenberg talks about, as being sort of the highest call of human beings. Contributing to life in you is contributing to the life in me. It's all the same life. So seeing forgiveness from this lens, from the giraffe world, from the nonviolent place of life, the place of the heart, actually makes forgiveness a very pleasant experience where every breath that is free and allowing the world to be what it is as an expression of forgiveness and of being forgiven for allowing us, allowing ourselves and allowing each other and allowing the earth to be exactly as it is in this moment. So I'd like to play you this song, I Forgive You, a song that took a lot of years of, of reforming what forgiveness might actually be. That it's not this shame-based repression or violent compulsory act, but instead is just a really embodied yes to this moment. And the song starts out with this little intro <laughs> that I kind of imagined uh, God confessing his sins. and us having a conversation with our deepest selves about like who are we and we often get so disconnected from our needs desires and what we're making of the world this song is kind of an invitation into being the life that is being responsible that is that is doing all of this putting ourselves in the captain's chair of our lives and being like i'm gonna i'm going to live in forgiveness of both myself and others and by letting go actively become the life that gets to create what we want I hope you enjoyed the song I hope you consider uh, coming to hang out with us at the Sunday thing this weekend or any weekend you can go to liturgists.com if you'd like to know more about that thanks for listening everybody Bless me, child, for I have sinned. 
It has, it has been, been 2,000 years, years since my last confession. confession. These are my sins. These are, are my sins. In becoming, becoming humanity, humanity, I have often, forgotten, forgotten, who I have often I forgotten who I am, and have thus wreaked havoc and destruction upon the earth and my children. Wow. Okay. Um. Who do you think you are? I think I am you. You. You think you're me? What? I don't understand. I'm. I'm me. Whoa.